right, let's do it, let's do it. What's up, Porch? My Porch Live locations we are introducing tonight and saying a big hello from Dallas, y'all help me out. Welcome, Porch Live Midland, Porch Live Greater Lafayette, and Porch Live Des Moines, Iowa. We are so glad that you guys are tuning in tonight. And of course, my friends in Dallas, what's up? I'm JD, if we haven't met, I serve as the creative director here at The Porch. It's a privilege to be here speaking. David Marvin tonight is in College Station. Any Aggies in the house? Woo! Speaking of breakaway, so you're stuck with me and I am so pumped. Daniel chapter three, we are in this series on God. That's on God. We're gonna see that time and time again in this series. Week one, chapter one, we talked about uh, how Daniel and the people, the Israelite people were different than those that were underneath the Babylonian captivity. They ate different food. Night two, we saw what it looked like to have God confidence as Daniel stood before the king and interpreted his dream on God's power and strength. And tonight we're gonna look at what it means to have great faith, not from Daniel, but some side characters known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But before we go there, I wanna tell you about this week, me and some friends were sitting in our apartment and um, we were going through Netflix trying to decide what to watch and there was this show that kinda of just caught my eye. It was like number one on Netflix at the time called Is It Cake? Is It Cake? And you know like when you hover over, it's not that good honestly, but whenever you hover over and like the commercial starts and you're like, you got five seconds, I was like, all right, Netflix, I'll bite, click. And so I start watching this show, and if you haven't seen it, the premise of the show is these bakers are in a competition where essentially they have to fool these judges to convince them that what they baked is actually real, that it's not cake, that it's not fake, it is a real thing. And so imagine they would have to make this water bottle look exactly like a water bottle, but instead it's cake. And so they have like, whenever they turn around the wall and they're done baking, they have four hours to do it. There's all these different water bottles. There's five of them, except one of them is cake. And then the judges in like 20 seconds have to pick one through five, which one they think is cake. And so me and all my friends, we're like, it's number two, no, no, it's number five, because it's just shocking how much literal cake can look like a real object. And so we're all putting in our votes. And then the way that it's revealed is the host, who's interesting if you've seen it, um, he takes this big knife and kind of like violently, creepily, like he likes it too much. I'm like, bro, chill. He goes over and he's like, is it cake? And I'm like, yeah, come on. And he goes to cut it. And if it's not cake, it just hits whatever the thing is. And the judge is lost and the baker won. And then he'll be like, which one is it? And he'll walk over and they're all like, no. And then he cuts it and it's so like nice. It's like soothing weirdly. He cuts it and then reveals on the inside it's cake and everyone's just like Pff. So I watched like two episodes, I was done with it after that. But <laughs> the point is, I think a lot of us are there with our faith. In the same way that these guys are challenged to go, is it cake or is it real? A lot of times when it comes to our faith, we're going, is it real or is it fake? Like, is my faith real? When I stand before God, Will I be seen good, well done, my good and faithful servant? Like your faith, your faith has been real, it's been well. But just like the cake on the show, a lot of times you don't know if your faith is actually about it until it's cut into in life. With these guys, we'll see that it wasn't cut into, it was actually burned into. But a lot of times it's until the heat begins to be turned up, the pressure 
begins to be added on. The stakes begin to be raised higher and higher. And in these defining moments in life, that is when we realize, man, my faith, all of this talk, it was either real or it was fake. And our world is only getting, guys, our world is only getting more and more to a place where you're gonna have to make a decision. And I think the problem is so many people When that moment comes to display radical faith in God, they crumble and they're marked by conformity rather than courage and obedience because they did not take today seriously. You don't wanna wait until the fires in life, the storms and trials in life to decide, is my faith real? It's the decisions you make today. It's how you prepare today that prepare you for the moment that when the fires of life come, you'll be ready. You don't have to wonder, man, I hope that it's real. I hope that my faith is what I've always said it is. No, you can know today. We're gonna see in the life of these men that you can know right now. You don't have to ever question again. And here's why this is relevant to every person in this room, because some of you are like, man, I know my faith is real. The reason why this is so relevant to all of us is because even if you think, When we look into the deepest parts of our life, there is something that we do that communicates otherwise. So many times our life is marked by fear, worry, or even living in our own faith, our self-faith, rather than faith in God. And that's what we're gonna see in this story. We're gonna see what it looks like to have a faith on fire. If you're a note taker, if you like alliterations, all that stuff, faith on fire is the the title of tonight's message. We're gonna do that by tackling Daniel chapter three. And so, We're gonna give a heads up. This is a long story, but I will say, if you tell me, man, the Bible is boring, especially the Old Testament, I do not know what book you are reading because this is one of my favorite stories of all time. Like, this is a movie. When I read this, I am like, I cannot wait to get to the next sentence because this is so good. And so lean in, although it's a lot of words, what we're gonna do is every day, if you don't have a way that you do your quiet time, if you kind of just open up and point, I'm gonna give you just a good way to know how to study your Bible. Write this down. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation, interpretation, application. That when you open up a passage, when you hear, hey, the porch is going through a book of the Bible, you wanna, that should be an indicator, oh, okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna read the text, we're gonna observe what it's saying, we're gonna interpret it by seeing what the author's intent, what was the author trying to communicate to me? What does this, how do I interpret this for my life? And then we're gonna apply it. Knowledge puffs up. We don't want just more knowledge, we want to put it into practice. And so today, we're simply going to look at this story, observe it, interpret it, and apply it. And so, I'm going to kind of summarize verses 1 through 13, and then we'll read 14 to the end. With me? Everyone with me? With me? All right, sweet. Here we go. Daniel chapter 3, 1 through 13. What you need to know. Nebuchadnezzar, He's kind of out there. Like at the end of every chapter, he's like, you have the most high God. And the next one, he's mad again. He's like, bow down to me. In this instance, he goes and he acts all crazy and he's like questioning people's loyalty. People have been whispering in his ear and he's like, there's like, I think a rebellion's going on. And so what does he do? He makes an idol of gold 90 feet high. That sounds logical. So he builds this huge self idol of himself. And it's this moment where he kind of makes the people 
serve him both politically and spiritually. They were displaying their political loyalty and their spiritual loyalty to him because he's the baddest king of the time at this time. So what he says is, hey, I've got all these instruments. I've got this band over here. They're the best in the nation. They're gonna play some music and then you're gonna drop down and worship this idol. When you read this, a lot of you are too familiar with this. You are used to dropping when you hear the music in the clubs. But can you imagine you're just walking around with like baskets of bread and you hear, give me some. You know, you drop down. That's what I picture, you know, the bass is like hitting, you know, the saxophone's playing. And so they're bowing down to the idol. Oh, and by the way, if you don't, I'm gonna throw you in a fiery furnace, okay? Casual, so everyone bow. The reason why he's doing this is because he wants to see who's loyal to me. Who will bow? And if you're caught standing, you will soon be burning. That's what he says. And so as this is going on, everything's going good, everything's going smooth, the king gets word that there are certain Jews, these wise men go to him, they're like, oh, mighty king, didn't you say that like once they hear the music, they're supposed to bow down to you to display their loyalty? He's like, I did say that. And there's like, there's certain Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who aren't doing it. And he's like, what? Bring them to me. Let me talk to them. Let me at them. So he's all fiery, he's hot. He brings in these three men to stand before him and to plead their case. And that's where we are in the story. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He about to see. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. I love this part. This is so funny to me. I don't know why. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, <clears throat> your majesty, your most loyal king. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it abundantly clear to you, again, <laughs> your majesty, you know, we're just little peasants, that we will never serve your gods, or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. That's apparently important to know. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, this is crazy, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Mufasa, <laughs> you know that part? <laughs> but suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, hey, yo, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And they're like, yeah, it just happened, King, like five minutes ago. Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. Not a hair on their heads were singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. That's crazy. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make the decree, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Here we are again with the tearing from limb to limb. This guy needs to go see a counselor. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Woo, okay, I need a drink. Thank you. So tonight, we're observing, like I said, we're observing this story and we're learning what it looks like to have a faith that's on fire for God. And so, right into it. Faith on fire, number one. Faith on fire will look different. People who have a faith on fire are built different, all right? I'm gonna tell you, if you are a Christian, you will look different. Remember that the king has asked everyone to bow down, and there's a reason why these three guys stood out. Because when everyone bowed, they were standing. So because of that, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, verse 14, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. You need to know this about faith. Real faith will produce real testing. If you are gonna be marked by real faith, you better be ready to be accompanied by real testing. They always go hand in hand because the more your faith builds, the more that testing is used to strengthen your faith and they go hand in hand. God uses these moments of testing and trying to build your faith on him. We see that all throughout scripture. You've probably experienced that in your life. And if you're gonna be a Christian in the world today, you're gonna have, to, you're gonna have your is it true moment. What do I mean by that? King Nebuchadnezzar, he looked at these three guys and he said, hey, is it true that you won't bow down to me? Is it true? And if you're gonna be a Christian marked by radical faith and obedience, you're gonna be asked, hey, is it true that you only believe that there's just male and female? Is it true that you're actually against pro-choice and you are for the sanctity of life? Hey, is it true that you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Hey, is it true that you believe that same-sex marriage is wrong? There's gonna be all these different things that the world, your jobs, your friends, people that you encounter on trips in different moments of life are gonna ask you, hey, is it true blank? And if you wanna be marched by real faith, you have to be ready to be tested, and in the testing, our job as Christians is to look different. 
it's surprising to me. The church, I think, has slowly sought so hard to reach the world that it's slowly starting to look like the world and you can't tell a difference between Christians and the world. And so because of that, we've become soft as Christians. We don't like the tension of looking different. Actually, when the world doesn't agree with us, we're hurt by it. We're surprised by it. And it's so shocking to me that we as Christians are so torn up when the world is mad at us, when our coworkers talk about us, when we're treated differently. It so surprises me because Jesus says it point blank that this will happen for the believer. John 15, Jesus says, hey, when the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Then he goes on to say, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And I know, take it from me, a fellow people pleaser. My people pleasers, you're like, but no, I want everyone to love me. No haters, good vibes only, positivity. But it cannot be at the expense of your faith. You cannot seek to please man over pleasing God. We see here that Christians living out a radical faith are called to look different. T.A., one of our teaching pastors here at Watermark, said something two Sundays ago that really stuck with me. He said, hey, if your life makes perfect sense to the unbeliever, then something is terribly wrong. If your life makes perfect sense to the unbeliever, then something is terribly wrong. And if right now, I think if I followed you into some of your workplaces and I asked your coworkers, hey, he's a Christian, why don't you wanna be like him? They'd be like, he's a Christian? They'd be like, wait, why would I need God when clearly he doesn't? You have to ask yourself, if right now I went into your spaces of influence and I asked the people around you, what's different about this person? What would they say? Would you look any different to the world? Because if you're a Christian today, you should not feel like you are home, you should feel out of place. Why, because this isn't our place. We live for heaven, that's our home. So you should not feel like this is it. Christian, this is not it, there is so much more. And so until then, yeah, you're gonna feel a little uncomfortable. Can I get a volunteer like right in the middle? Is that Gabe? There you are, yeah, stand up, Gabriel, stand up. How you feeling? <laughs> Nervous? A little uncomfortable. Everyone's looking at you. You're probably starting to sweat in different regions of your body. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Yeah, it's hard up here, okay? See how it feels? It's getting a little more. Everyone else is sitting. And right now there's something in you, naturally, that's wanting to sit. Don't. <laughs> I know we read this and we're like, wow, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what great men of faith. I can tell you, when everyone else went down, I bet it was hard to stay up. I bet it felt uncomfortable. I bet that they began to sweat and get nervous. You can sit down. Give it up for Gabriel real quick. But here's the reality, guys. When you go to work, 
when you go to your master's program, when you go to your sphere of influence back home to your family, that should be your reality. If you look just like everyone else, I would ask you, is your faith real? Because we as Christians, what we see here is that it's not a matter of if, but when. You will experience testing because you will look different. But remember, you are not alone. There is a savior, his name is Jesus, who walked the walk for us, that the world hated him too. And like we sung earlier, he hung on the cross, he defeated sin and he rose from the grave. So that way today, when the world looks at us and sees that we're different, it's like, is it true? I'm gonna give you one more chance or you're fired. I'm gonna give you one more chance or you're never hanging out with us again. I'm gonna give you one more chance or this relationship is over. When you get to that moment, will you stand or will you bow? There are people in this room who have lost jobs because they have stood up for their faith. And I wanna say I'm so proud of you. God is so honored by that. The world is looking and they're watching. And when you're tested in how you respond, that's what they're attracted to and that's what they're following. So I'm asking you, does your faith look any different? To these moments, these defining moments that are hard and decision has to be made, the Christian's response should be faith and courage. The world's response, fear and conformity. Everyone else was found bowing down, listening to the king, but the Christian stood in faith. They said, we will not bow. How do they have such assurance knowing that the, on the other end was the fire, how did they do it? Because they had faith. Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith like this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. They could not see if God would save them from the fire, but it did not matter because they were assured that God would be with them. Whether it was the fire, whether it was on land, or whether it was in heaven, God would not leave them because they know that he would never leave them or forsake us. That's not who he is. He is always present. So because of that, they were able to stand and be different, although everyone else bowed. How were they so assured? Because they had the right informing of their faith, which leads me to point two. A faith that's on fire must be rightly informed. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, you know, they, he says, is it true that you won't bow? I'm gonna give you one more chance or I'm throwing you in the fire to be burned alive. And here's what they say. I mean, this, this is crazy when you think about it. The face of death, here's what they say. It's almost as if they're laughing. They're so at peace. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Notice that they said that he is able, not that he will. He's able. That was enough for them. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What we see here is that these men's faith was rightly informed by what? God's word and God's character. God's sufficient word and God's never changing character. How do we see that? Look at their response. Response number one. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you. What does that say that they know about the character of God? They're saying, we don't need to defend ourselves because our God is a defender. Response number two, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. They're saying, hey, the saving isn't on us. We don't have to save ourselves because our God is a rescuer. It's a part of his character. He defends and he rescues the oppressed. Response number three, but even if he doesn't, I think that part is really challenging for us today, especially in America. We have, we have created a comfortable Christianity that doesn't want to say this line. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What they're saying with that response is, we will be obedient to our God, the God, despite the outcome. Why? Because they knew that our God is the ultimate king. You might be king on earth, but we serve a higher king, the king of majesty, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. His name is God Almighty, and that's who we serve. So even if he doesn't give us our desired outcome of staying alive, we will never bow down. So you might as well put us in the fire. Their response informed what they believe, that's how we know what they believe by the way they responded. Because God's word and God's character is what informed their faith. The reason why we know this, at this time, we don't know how many books of the Old Testament these guys had to study and know. We know they had the first five books of the Bible. And by these responses, what I'm seeing them say is, hey, we know that the God who fulfilled his promise to Abraham, the father of Israel, is the same God today. We know that God who took Israel out of Egypt through 10 miraculous plagues and split the Red Sea for our people to walk through is the same God today. We know that God is faithful, that he breaks down the walls, that he wins wars, that he makes ways. That's who our God is. And because of that, because we've read it and we believe it, and because that God is the same God today, we will never bow. And the same God who was the God of Israel whenever they were in slavery to Egypt, the God of Israel when they were enslaved to the Babylonian Empire is the same God today for you. When you are underneath the impression of the darkness of this world, of culture, of people who are telling you that you have to go this way or else, you have to know what informs my faith is God's word and God's never changing character. I think a lot of us, when we get to these moments of defining moments in our life, the reason why we crumble is because sadly, we don't know God's character because we don't know God's word. We know a quote on Instagram. We know a pastor's one minute clip. We know little bits of sermons that are fed to us. We remember the one sentence that we wrote down but these guys clearly had spent time knowing God's word, therefore they had a very real view of his character and that's what dictated their right response to these defining moments because their faith was informed by something that doesn't change. But today, so many people's faith is informed by their feelings, by their emotions, by their experiences, by their opinions, and those things, those things are the improper way. They are the wrong way to inform your faith. Why? All of those things change. 
Your feelings, you're like Nebuchadnezzar, all right? You're hot, then you're cold, yes, then you're no, and then you're out, up, then you're down, all the things. Feelings make terrible gods. Emotions, yeah, they're real, they're there, but they are not what dictate your faith. Experiences, so many of you have experienced, the reason why you come to the porch but you're out on church and you're like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, is because you've let one experience, one experience of church hurt, which hello, the reason why that church hurt exists because you're a broken person interacting with broken people, therefore that's what causes oftentimes dysfunction, You let that experience inform your faith. And so now you're out on church because an experience guides your life. We need to stop projecting our experiences onto God. Because your dad left you does not mean that your God will leave you. Because that person cheated on you and left you does not mean that God will forsake you. God is not that experience. God is not that person. He is the only thing that is... available and fully capable of informing your faith because he's the only thing that never changes. That's why his word and his never changing character are the right ways to inform your faith. These guys clearly understood that. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. That everything you read in the Bible is inspired and breathed out by God. And it can be used for teaching, for correcting, and for training in all righteousness. That means that it is complete. The Bible says it's complete and lacking nothing. You don't need to add anything to it. You don't need to take away anything from it. But the reason why we do, the reason why we would like ourselves to be gods of our life, the reason why we want our feelings and our experiences to inform our faith is because we get to decide when we are in and out with God, and we get to decide when we wanna pick what parts of the Bible that we wanna follow. Because if my feelings and how I feel today get to determine how I respond to God, that's much more easier and comfortable than relying on what he says is best for me. So if I wake up today and I feel like walking rightly with God, then I will, but if I feel lonely and sad, then yeah, I'll go hook up with that person because my feelings inform my faith. Those things are the wrong way to inform, the right way to inform your faith. If you're gonna have a faith on fire, it must be rightly informed. You inform it with God's sufficient word and his never changing character. The last thing to have a faith on fire that you need, a faith on fire produces action. We see in this story that a faith on fire produces action. Look at this. They go through all of this stuff, they say all these things, and then in verse 21, they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace. Fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring Flames. Their faith was not just talk. Talk is cheap. They were men of action. We always say actions speak louder than words. Here are the kind of actions in these men. These men are displaying the kind of action that follows real faith. Here are the kind of actions that follow a false faith, a fake faith. God, 
I trust you with my life. Guy walks by. I'm kind of tired of singleness, you know. God's kind of taken a long time. He doesn't go to the church. He doesn't read his Bible. Calls himself a Christian. Good, stable career. He's enough for me. Walks over here. But you just said in faith, God, I trust you with my life. And then when something walks by that clearly isn't God's best and your actions take you over here, something's off. Real faith are followed by actions. What you do points to what you actually believe. And so that action tells me, no God, I don't trust you, you're taking too long. All my roommates are married with two kids, so I'm taking matter into my own hands. You can be God when I need blessings, but I'm gonna be God when I get what I want, when I wanna get what I want. Another example, God, I wanna go all in with you. We come to the porch and we're like, hey guys, God would call you to be a part of the local body, to serve the church, to serve the needs of the city, to be in community, to read his word. And you're like, what? Sundays are my me days. Self-care. Like, I'm so busy Monday through Friday, and then I go out for different things on Saturday, I get the pump in on Sunday, like I just don't got time for that, I'll stream at home. But you just said, God, I wanna be all in. God, I want to be intimate with you. God, I want a thriving relationship with you. I wanna be Christ-like, yet you don't have time. Your actions point to what you believe. God, I want to stop partying. I, 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 I just, I don't know how it happens. I keep hooking up with people. I wanna stop. You going out tonight? Yeah, meet you there at six. I'm like, and here's the issue. When you're feeling like the next morning, like guilt after sex, when you're feeling that, you're like, God, I wanna be done. And then the lonely hours come the next Saturday and you're sitting there, you get the text, hey, you wanna go out tonight? And you're like, I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. That's gonna lead to me drinking too much. That's gonna lead me getting some liquid courage. That's gonna lead me to Snapchatting that person and ending up at their house at 3 a.m. And I'm gonna just get into this vicious cycle and I look at your actions and if actions point to what you believe, what does that say about your faith? Do you have faith that God will fully satisfy your every need? That God knows that you need before you even ask so you don't have to go searching? James 2.17 says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have action, is dead faith, fake faith. And I think I know what the problem is. Like, there are a lot of motivational speeches out there that encourage people like to have fiery faith and yeah, I wanna be marked by courageous decisions and I wanna go all in with God and I want fiery faith. You want it until it actually calls you into the fire. You wanna be known as someone with a fiery faith until it's time to step up. And it's really easy to proclaim it on the outside of the furnace looking in until you start getting tied up. I mean, these guys did it all right, right? They were like, we're not gonna bow. They didn't bow. We, our God will save us. Our God will save us. Our God will save us, right God? Tie the knot, tie the knot. They're like, God, our God will save us. And they start to swing them. And they're like, really God? And they start throwing them in like a stack of logs. So many of us claim to want a faith on fire until it calls us to 
put some money where our mouth is until action. We would rather have the perks of Christianity, but not the persecution that comes with it. We want salvation, but without suffering. We want amazing grace, but just enough to cover up our guilt, not to actually change our lives. We want to be sons and daughters of God, but still cousins with the world. We want to be known as people of radical faith until it calls us out into radical obedience, until it calls us into the fire. But I'm telling you, if you want real faith, then you're gonna get some heat. You're gonna get some pressure from the world. And faith is followed by action. And so I'm asking you, what do your actions say about your faith? If what you do points to what you believe, how are you doing? Me and my wife, we, since being married, girls, girls have the craziest, like, fears. It's crazy. And I started noticing, she's from, she came from Arkansas, and she's in Texas, and she wasn't driving on the highways. And she told me, by the way, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid of Dallas highways, so I'm not gonna drive on them. And so now sometimes she tries to be sweet and she's like, can we like, want me to drive? And I'm like, heck no, girl. A 20 minute trip takes 50 minutes with you on all these back roads. And so what I'll do is I'll acknowledge the fear and she loves this, let me tell you. I'll acknowledge the fear and I'll try to get to the root of it because I'm like, wait, this is not, this is not okay. Like, you are my wife, you can drive on a highway, all right? And so I'll say, hey, why are you afraid to drive on highways? And she'll go, because there's a lot of cars going fast. Today, actually, she threw me a new one. She said, because what if I faint? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, am I married to a fainting goat? Like, what, what's going on? What if I faint? People just fainting now? She's like, what if I faint? I'm like, all right, okay, so what if you faint? And she's like, well, then I'll get in a wreck. And I'm like, okay, well, what if you get in a wreck? And she's like, well, then it'll hurt. And I'm like, okay, well, what if it hurts? And she's like, well, then I'll go to the hospital. I'm like, well, what if you go to the hospital? She's like, I'll either get saved, I'll either like heal. I was like, or, and she'll go, or I'll die. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, what if you die? And she kind of smiles every time. Cause it always ends to death. That's the root fear, death. <laughs> I'm like, so what if you die? And she smiles and she goes, I'll be in heaven. <laughs> That's silly but y'all, that is powerful, all right? Because the problem with us today, the problem with me today, is there's something in me that doesn't actually believe that heaven is better than earth. There's something in me that when I look at my actions, I'm living as if earth is the end goal. I'm looking like conformity and having people like me is where the treasure is found. I'm looking like success and more money and more opportunities, that's where satisfaction lies. That shows me that I think heaven is it, or I think earth is it. But I need to tell myself, you need to tell yourself, in these moments of opportunity where you get to choose fear or faith, when heaven is the reward, suffering is the gain. Testing is the opportunity. When the world is bowing, standing up for what's right, even though it might result in suffering, you have to see that as the advantage. Because like Paul says, it's when we're weak that he's made strong. His power is made perfect through our weakness. These guys were thrown into a fire. 
thrown into a fire. And now this was the opportunity where God got to flex his power. And he wants to do the same with you. But you have to go, man, when I am freaking out, when the rest of the world is bowing down, when the rest of the world is doing this, I will not bow. I am not afraid of what lies on the other end of not compromising and bowing down. I'm not afraid, even if it leads to death, even if it leads to death, being with God is greater. As I tell myself all that all the time, being with God is greater. And these men, they clearly understood, they clearly had a right perspective of what it looked like to be marked by faith and where faith could lead them. And they were willing to say, but even if he doesn't save us, to be with our king is greater than being here. And once they were thrown into the fire, that's when God showed up. Verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't, he tie, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, we certainly did. Look, he shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. The fourth looks like a god, and then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they got out, and they stepped out of the fire, and then all the people gathered around, and they saw that the fire had not even touched them. They didn't even smell like smoke. And he said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants, just like they said he would, who trusted in him. They defiled the king's commands. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. The point of having great faith is to not make your name more great. The point of having great faith is to point to the victory of your great God. That's why he calls us to have radical faith. That's why he calls us to step out into the unknown. So that way, when you choose to surrender in radical obedience despite outcomes, that's when he can put his glory on display through you to the hurting and lost world. And if you will choose, if you will choose to let your suffering define your God, if you will let, your choose, let yourself choose to let your God define your suffering and not your suffering to define your God, watch what he'll do. Watch what he'll do with that obedience. He will take that moment and he will use it to display his goodness and his power and his glory to the world through you, just like he did through these guys. Notice, they didn't have to say anything profound. They didn't have to say anything to change their mind. They just simply had to live it out. Their faith had action. And when they put that action into practice, that's when the king said, wow, look at this God. Look at this God. He is the only God worthy of worship. And if you, if you, when compromise and those opportunities come, will stand up and be different, if you will inform your faith correctly, and if you will let your faith lead you to great action, to point to your great God, watch what he will do. Watch what he will do. I don't know what your fire is, I don't know what your even if moment is, that even if God doesn't give me a desired outcome, I'm gonna trust him. I don't know what that moment is. But what I do know is that if you choose to respond with real radical faith, watch what God will do. He will do the unthinkable. He will do exceedingly more than you could ever ask or think. He's just waiting for you to say yes. He's waiting for you to have real faith in him. Let's pray.
God, I thank you that it's not because of our faith, it's not because of our decision, it's not because of our works that we are saved, but it's because you, God, sent your son down to earth to pay the ultimate price because your son stepped into the fire of this world and sin and shame and brokenness and defeated it by rising from the grave three days later. Because of that, we now can walk towards trials. We can walk towards persecution and suffering. We now can stand up when the rest of the world is bowing down. We can look different because of what you have done for us. And I pray that these people, that this generation would see that the world is hurting and looking for something real, someone different. And may it start with the radical decisions in this room. I pray that me, my friends here tonight, that we be marked by people of real faith because you are a real God who wants to do real things through his people when they say yes to you. Would we respond right now with whatever it is that even if, even if you don't heal the cancer, even if you don't change things around, even if you don't provide the spouse, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And then you would come and do, God, with that trust, you would come and do what only you can do tonight. Maybe respond right now. In the name that I pray, amen. Let's respond.